0: If you're like me and have found this pandemic and its many, many lockdowns to be the perfect time to dive headfirst into film photography, or maybe you've been shooting film since before it was cool, back when freedom was legal, you've probably explored the multitude of ways to convert your analogue shots to digital. Having extensively tested the flatbed method to a frustrating and fruitless end, I was keen to switch to the camera plus macro lens method that's been recommended to me by so many photographers both on and off of the podcast. After scouring the market, I discovered a fantastic multi-format, high-quality, cost-effective solution for securing my film and diffusing the light underneath it, allowing me to photograph it effectively. Its frame, range of interchangeable gates and light diffuser make it possible to digitally photograph your film quickly and most importantly to me, to a high standard. It allows you to scan 35mm, 120mm and even 4x5 visit pixel-later.com that's p-i-x-l-l-a-t-r.com to find out more and get your own also check them out on instagram tell them that i sent you and a massive thanks to Later for supporting the podcast We started off this call before we get into the podcast. You've you've already brought up NDAs. We've already talked gear. We've already talked lockdown. There's already so much happened in the five minutes we've spoken before we're even getting into the podcast. So I'm very excited about this. I think it says there's there's some good things on the horizon here. Uh, Before we get into any of that, how was it that you came to pick up a camera in the first place? What made you want to be a photographer?
1: Well... I was at uh, I was at art college and uh I was always um there was something missing I was always frustrated that I could never get onto uh, canvas or paper or whatever it was what I was actually seeing and feeling and uh, part of that course uh Monday to Friday course part of the course was uh I think initially it was half a day of photography a week and uh I picked up a camera and it was just this magic moment. I don't know whether you want to call it a light bulb moment or what the hell it was, but I picked up this camera and I was like, wow, this is what's been missing. I can actually, you know, produce what I'm actually sort of feeling and seeing and, you know, not literally for every single pixel and blade and piece of grass or whatever it was but it was i I was able to express myself for you know more than i could with paint and charcoal and you know everything else And it was like wow this is it this is this is the moment you know and now i know where you know what i want to do and where i want to go and you know for someone that's creative if you've got um part of you that's that's sort of slightly uh, frustrated because you can't get that part out that there's you've got to try and sort of break through that and um, there's no sort of written rules about right you do a and then you do b and then you do c and magically it all comes together it is a it's a it's a sort of self-discovery I don't know that's a bit of a cliche thing to say but it is and, and you need to find your sort of little You know, notch, and then like, wow, this is it. Yeah, and it was literally that picking up a camera, and it never occurred to me before. That sounds stupid, but yeah.
0: Well, something that I I hear a lot from photographers, especially maybe not with the podcast, but when I'm talking to people, you know, I went to the camera show in 2016, which is a, I mean, that was more of a case study than it was about photography. I spent most of my time just people watching rather than looking at anything else. But when I talk to (laughs) other people that are interested in photography, newer photographers a lot of people a barrier to get over is photographing people that's quite a yep. scary thing for people because you've got to a you've got to interact with complete strangers quite often and b you've actually got to know how to direct them as much as you've got to know how to use your camera so yep. what was it that pushed you over that wall of wanting to photograph people
1: uh i come from liverpool and basically i was music was a massive part of my life and uh when I sort of, uh, discovered photography. I was, uh, the next step obviously was then was to go to college. I did three years and, uh, you have to find what it is that sort of turns you on with photography. So, you know, if you're photographing a plate of peas or, you know, it's going to be something that actually interests you and, and actually, wow, this is what I want to do. And for me, it was always that interaction with, with people and, you know, I found still life. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think landscape is incredible, absolutely beautiful landscape photography. I, you know, sometimes I look at stuff and I think, wow, that is absolutely stunning. And, you know, part of the thing that I do sometimes is I take myself off and, you know, climb mountains. I've trekked through uh the amazon and stuff and and you know across deserts and and that is a very visual thing but for me there's that personal interaction between the whole the situation so yeah it's it's uh you know it's you sort of sometimes you just fall into things and uh you know when i came out of uh photography college um uh, yeah, i was very lucky that, that i was at uh in birmingham and the head of uh the whole college obviously saw something in me that i you know i didn't see in myself and he said right you know what you're doing now and i said i don't know you know i've got to the end of of this course and i don't really know what i'm doing apart from you know i really like photographing people and at that point i was it was things like you know, I was photographing shop assistants that worked in boots because they could do their own hair, hair and makeup and things. And it was, right. you know, I didn't have any contact with model agencies and things. It was, it was a totally new area for me. And he said, right, okay, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're really good at photographing people, and you know, you seem interested in in fashion and beauty. Um, I've got a I've got a job if you want to start on on you know in a week's time or something and I said oh what's that yeah okay all right what's that and he said well you know it's in London and uh I've you've got your job as a, as an assistant at Vogue magazine and I was like what and he said like wow yeah next week you start at Vogue magazine as an assistant and I was like you are joking I mean that is just like everyone's dream I mean looking back um I wish I knew then what I knew now because I'd have taken more in. But I learned more in my first day at Vogue magazine as an assistant than I did in the past five years of doing photography. It was just like, wow, this is incredible. You know, don't get me wrong, I was fetching tea and coffee and putting colour armours up and, you know, whatever you do, it's it's yeah, just bring it on. And I was sleeping on my cousin's sofa in the lounge because it was the only way I could get to London and and you know start this job. So um, yeah, it was it was that sort of thing and, and you know seeing the photographers with photographing models and uh, you know the front covers at Vogue magazine were always the last thing to be shot because obviously um, there'd be features inside and things and then they were like right, what's the cover? Okay, it's this. And seeing international models being flown in and photographed and you know, hair and makeup and the whole process. I was like, wow, this is just, you know, it's like a drug. Once you get into it, it's like, wow, this is the best thing ever. And that was really what sort of started that flame going. It's And it's never gone out. I feel probably more passionate now about it than than I've ever done. It's just incredible. You know, it's, I don't know if that answered you or not, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing I'm kind of interested there and it's ridiculous that you bring up Vogue and I want to go to what happened before it, but I'll, I'll come back. But in the now becoming almost famous words of a White House press secretary, if I could just circle back (laughs) formal education in photography and really formal education in any art form now is, is I feel like it's starting to fall off the wayside a little bit with the rise of things like YouTube and people just, you know, looking at settings that are being posted on Instagram for photos and thinking that that answers the question. Do you feel like formal education, beyond just that opportunity that it gave you, is something that pe- more people should consider when it comes to photography?
1: Um, it's a real mixed question, that one, for me. Um, as I said, personally, when when I was in, in that situation, it was it was a real voyage of discovery, but that was for me personally. It wasn't, you know, I'm not one of those people that can take a lot of information in. Uh, It is sometimes, you know, I'd sit in a class of two hours and come out at the end of it. And I was almost like a goldfish. You know, I don't know what just happened. You know, I don't remember anything as if I pick something up and I do it, I will always remember that. So it is a very individual, I, w- I would certainly say that if someone wanted to go down that route, yes, definitely, a hundred percent. But I've had uh, I, I get students in the studio, and and some of the students you can see the spark there, and some of the students you think actually, do you know what? There's no one home. You know, it, it's a, an awful thing to say, but they're just really lost, and they don't really know what they want to do. And and yeah, you know, I've had a student sit in the corner and not even look. Uh, what the hell's going on and and you're thinking you know why you're here you know uh, yeah. oh it's it's part of the two day you know I've got to do a an industrial release they call it, so basically the college insists that they go out somewhere and normally the college arranges it uh to experience what it's like in in you know in the real world and uh I think in those situations yeah. you do learn more about yourself and you know, you learn more about actually, uh, you know, what it is that you're going to have to do, and uh, sometimes you're you're cut off from that when you're at uh, a college, or you know, there's no reality because the sad thing is, and I mean this in a really lovely way, because I have actually been, um, uh, I've actually lectured uh, a few times at some of the colleges around. I've, you know, they've they've emailed me and said, "Would you come in for a day?" and you know, and uh, talk to some of the students and things. And yeah, you know, some of the, unfortunately, if you're in the the business that we're in, everything moves so fast on a daily basis, a weekly basis, six months. In six months' time, what was happening, you know, then isn't happening now. And and so when you're uh, when you're a lecturer in something like that if you've been lecturing there for 5 or 10 years you've sort of you know the the boats already gone and and you're still you know it's a very difficult thing to to put your finger on that for me personally um it was a good thing but it didn't teach me that much about actually photography and, and what was it taught me more about myself and and you know how i handled situations and you know could i get out of bed in the morning and get into college and the answer to that was no you know half the time I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't i didn't rock up till after lunchtime you know and it's it's crazy so but you know that's what you discover so i i know i haven't really answered your question but it's it's a very you know it's a very personal mixed thing
0: well i went into higher education for two two things so yeah. when i left school um, I'd been working for quite a while by the time I left school as a chef, or a pastry, okay. as a, basically as a pastry chef and a baker. And yeah. I was sent to college by my boss, so I didn't need the job. I was already in the job that I wanted. It was actually my dream job, literally, from leaving school. Yeah. But he wanted me to go to college because what he didn't want was for his business to disappear and yeah. then for me to have nothing other than you know, one recommendation on my CV, which is a really good idea. But I spent those three years knowing everything. Like I walked into every class and when you go from, and I don't really understand the photography equivalent, but when you go from producing, you know, wedding cakes, or you go from producing, you know, artisan bread, you go into a, into a college and they're making one loaf of bread a day and like it takes 15 people to do it yeah you're not going to learn anything because the rate is so much lower the second time i went to college was was years later and it was for fun basically i wanted to learn audio engineering because i play music and it was the complete opposite i went in knowing absolutely nothing and i was hanging on every word that was being said and i saw the people that I was the first time around. I saw the people that already knew everything and, and weren't yeah. paying that much attention. They just wanted a bit of paper at the end. And it's, it's fascinating the two ways you can approach it. But the thing that, that photography kind of taught me the most was, especially after teaching my first workshop, was how much you learn teaching other people. Because the second you start saying what you're doing out loud and you start actually having to reverse engineer your own bullshit, essentially... Yeah. you start to realise why you do certain things and maybe even over the course of teaching someone that you learn how to do it better, which is kind of bizarre. Did you find that when you were teaching people?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was invited to one of the uh, major colleges in, in central uh, London, uh, one of the art colleges there, to lecture for uh, three, four times. And I... Didn't really know what I was going into, and I just presumed that everyone would be like me when I was at college. I mean, you got to remember that I left school, I went to art college, then I went to, to photography college. So I'd never actually worked, I'd never actually held down a job uh, yeah. apart from a couple of summer jobs, you know, as a, as a student. Um, I went there thinking that everyone was going to be the same as that, and. The moment I walked in, I mean, everyone was, the standard was so high. There were people there from some of the fashion houses that I'd shot. There were people there that were um, designers, you know, Uh, there were people there that were just from every walk of life. But um, some of them were um, older than me, you know, and they were like, I was like, wow, I don't know who's actually getting the most out of this, me or you. And um, they, (laughs) You're sort of rubbing off each other in in terms of you know they were sort of firing off you and you were firing off them and it was I mean that's what I think creativity is for me is is it's it's like a team thing and and you know everyone sparks off each other uh, it must be quite hard. I don't know. It's just a different way of approaching it, I suppose. I was just going to, again, kind of compare it to sort of landscape photography where you go out, and you just, you know, that's quite a solo activity, but what I do is, is a sort of team game. Really. It can be, you know, literally a one-to-one so I can be photographing one person, but, you know, I could quite easily have a crew of 15 to 20 people, including models and clients involved. So, Everyone has, uh, there's a saying I've got, I I don't, you know, I don't really know how relative it is, but for me, it always makes sense is the shoot is only as good as the weakest link on that shoot. So, you know, everyone has, that was the one thing that Vogue taught me. Everyone has to be an equal. So everyone is part of that cog. You can't just have, you know. Obviously, the editor, the the editor of Vogue, or the clients is the main person because they're the people that are at the end of the day that are either paying the bills or you know the the, the person that's in that's running the whole shebang. But uh, everyone is important. You know, your assistant. you're for me personally, you, my assistant is just as important as I am. You you need, you know, normally. I'm rubbish at multitasking. For example, I can't do two things at the same time. So, you know, I always find that for me, girl assistants are amazing. You know, they can always multitask. They're always very good at, at at sorting situations out so they can be chatting to a client and and editing on screen and adjusting capture one so that, you know, my exposure, I mean, that's a, you know, something else hopefully I'll come on to, but, uh, you know it's, it's a very the whole thing for me is, is a sort of it's a team game and, and the team make or break it uh, if that makes sense. so
0: Well, I've actually always said that the, the, the two things that are kind of good to keep in mind if you want to move through the gears on anything is one, to be the least talented person in the group, mm. because then you're always working with people that want, make you want to be better so that you match up, and two, always work hard on everyone else. And if you do those yeah. two things, everything's always going to be moving forwards. But for yeah. you know ridiculously bizarre circumstances, when it comes to your time at Vogue, what was the actual environment like? The working practice like because it's this great big huge institution, and yeah. obviously there's huge pressure on what's being done, but it's also a creative yeah. thing, and that pressure can be counterproductive. What's that environment like?
1: I mean, at the time, I was working with probably two of the best photographers in the world uh, as an assistant, but um, certainly that magazine has certainly got a lot of clout, but magazines in general now aren't anywhere near as important as they used to be because yeah, we don't buy magazines anymore. You know, everything's right. available online and things, but that particular magazine and and. and magazines like that have still got huge clout and what i learned very quickly when i was there was two things is there was a hierarchy there so obviously there was the editor there was the deputy editor there was you know and the whole sort of thing went down the line um I'll tell you something that I always remember that uh, happened to me when I was there. And I was standing next to the photographer that was doing the shoot, and the editor was standing next to him, and I was standing. So there was a group of three of us, like a triangle. And the editor <laughs> said to the photographer, Could you get your assistant to make me a cup of tea, please? Now, in my head, I was thinking, Well, why? why didn't you look at me and speak to me? You know, it's I'm there next to you. And and it was just, but that was the hierarchy that was then uh, built up in stuff like this. It was just various layers. And um, the other thing that I learned very quickly was that there wasn't the same amount of pressure on me. If any, you know, I could go and make a cup of tea or I could cut that color armor or, you know, change it for a, a blue one instead of a green one or a gray one. or but. The people that have got the, you know, the photographer that's got the the camera in his hand, he's got to produce the goods, you know, and that editor and and him are the two sparks that have to fly across and make that join and and produce that cover, you know. The, 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 as the hierarchy went down, the pressure went down, and that's one of the things that I tell students that come into the into into the student into the um, studio is until you've actually physically got that camera in your hand and it's you that is actually producing what the client wants or what that campaign needs, um, you know, you don't really understand what you need to sort of sample that. It's, It's like, you know, you're saying about, I can watch a cookery program on the TV and I can think, wow, that's amazing cake. But until you actually taste it, you don't know what the hell's going on. It's the same right. with 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 that. When so that situation for me in 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 Vogue was just I was just in awe, basically, because you know as I say I wish I knew now what I knew then because I'd have taken more notice of of lighting and you know various other things and 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 the way things were produced, but. It's the pressures on those people, you know, the pressure, it's a, it's a monthly magazine and every month that cover has to come out and that magazine has to come out. And, you know, sometimes the weekly ones, There's, there's you know, the weekly ones are almost completely gone now, but the weekly magazines, you know, you can imagine the pressure to keep producing stuff like that it's 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 huge and certainly when you've got something as iconic as vogue it's just this massive flagship that that you know everyone i mean you know it was always my dream and i never actually got to do it but it was almost my dream to to shoot for them you know i was thinking wow you know I'd, i'd love and you know there's every other photographer that's out there if not every photographer that would be their dream as well if they were you know, doing that, it's just got this power.
0: When it comes to working with a team, like you're talking about, it's one thing to just hire the best people or to just surround yourself with the best people, which is obviously the best case scenario. But you also, or do you also have to understand like the roles of each person in that team? Because like you said, one of you is directing the ship and whilst you might not be a makeup artist or, you know, know, working hair and makeup or, or whatever, or might not be a model yourself, you still have to understand exactly what it that is you're looking from them and to know the way to communicate that with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I always try and work with a team that I trust and I've worked with before and I know there's going to be guaranteed it's not always possible. But, you know, my assistants, I've got two girl assistants, it's almost like a marriage. You know, you know what they're thinking. They know what you're thinking. You don't have to look over their shoulder to see that, you know, that shoes has just been backed up onto three hard drives, you know, at the same time because, you know, digitally, if it goes, it goes, you know. So I don't just shoot onto the computer. I shoot on, you know, we make sure that it goes onto three hard drives. Makeup artist, you've got to know how quickly they work, you know, if the client wants to. And things have changed. You know, the days have gone are just doing two shots in a day. Now it's two shots in two minutes. You know, so it is really important that they work fast, but they work to a high standard, that someone isn't going to throw their toys at the pram if the client says to them, actually, do you know what? Can we just change that hair or can we change the color of that lipstick? Because I don't think it's quite working. That's you know, you've got to have people that go, yes, you know, and not not in terms of sort of backside licking and things, but in terms of understanding what it is that, that the client wants and, you know, what's needed in the campaign. Um, you know, some clients are easier to work with than others, and uh, believe it or not, some clients actually don't, don't – <sighs> we're a very visual breed and some clients don't actually know what they want until they actually see it on the screen. So, and then they know that that's not what they want. Yeah, so, there you, go. you know, yeah. that, that might be hair or makeup. It might be the amount of wind that's going into the hair. It might be that actually the styling isn't quite what they want. Can we just change that around the things? And a lot of the time I can't have shot with every single model in the world. It's an impossibility, but um, yeah, the, the, the unknown entity sometimes is that you might not have worked with that model before. So the whole team, you have to encourage. Yeah, I always have music going in the studio. I always like to have it a laugh and a joke. I always like to keep it lighthearted. I mean, what we're doing is a hundred percent serious. You know, at the end of the day, if I'm not producing the goods, then we're in trouble. But I like to. Enjoy the day because the day goes faster. Uh, but also, um, it's not that I want the day over with. But it's just that if a client has a good time and they get the 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 product at the end of it, they get what they want. They're more likely to come back to you the next time and the next time. You know, I always say you're you're only as good as your last job and. Again, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to lose a client. It's the hardest thing in the world to gain a new one because there's so many people out there pitching. Uh, you know, things have changed over the years. Um, um, you know, uh, ten years ago there were huge budgets in our industry, massive. It was run by creatives. Now all the budgets have shrunk, and most big businesses are now run by the accountants. You know, so it's yep. flipped, you know, that I've done, uh, I mean, at one point I was doing probably 23, 25 trips a year. You know, I was constantly away shooting abroad. And sometimes we get back after two weeks shooting and they just shelve it. You know, they go, actually, do you know what? We're not going to, not that the photography was bad or what we produced was bad or that they just actually, we're not going to go down that design route now. We're going to change it. You know that would never happen in a million years now. If every single shot has to work, you know, there's no there's no room for actually. do You know what we did half a day and that didn't work. It's, it just that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's something with like even with weddings that I, I quite often deal with people like you say where they don't know what they want but they definitely know what they don't want. So yeah. once they've told you what they don't want, you've just got to go through all the other infinite combinations to get to what they yeah. do want. With next to no description. And yeah, yeah, I mean, one thing I do feel about what you were just saying there about the accountants running sort of the creative industries is that you can almost see how like recession or financial hard times actually leads to, to better art because it just pulls out that layer of bullshit and people can actually focus on being creative and standing out as opposed to just focusing on deadlines and focusing on pleasing people that don't ever yeah. go outside of their office other than to go on holiday. So th- let's just go back to working with this team. Yeah. You, you said about, you know, they have to work fast, they have to work to a high standard and, and, and so on. That's the nature of the game. But what happens in a situation for you if someone's not pulling their weight in that situation? How do you deal with a bad shoot or bad chemistry?
1: I think, I think I've been really lucky. I think a bad shoot hasn't really happened for me, but certainly bad chemistry has, you know, where the client hasn't really taken to the model or, you know, sometimes I'll recommend a model or I'll book a model. Depends on depends on the job or the campaign. Sometimes the client will handle the whole thing, so they'll book the whole team. If the client books the whole team, then... Sometimes I'm working with people apart from my assistants that actually I don't know. You know, it's it's state bucket, but sometimes the clients go, right, okay, can you recommend the stylist? Can you recommend the hair and makeup artist? You know, your assistants, I know, et cetera, et cetera. So you try and reduce the risk of something not working. Yeah. Clash of personalities, well, I think everyone has be- become a lot more professional now uh there's no uh sort of storming out the studio and chucking things all you know and, and doing a number there's just no room for that anymore in the in the industry because it's a very big industry but actually when it comes to stuff like that it's a very small industry people find out that actually he's really difficult to deal with or she's really difficult to deal with. Actually, it was an impossibility trying to get anything with her because she moans. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, the model sort of said, you know, one situation that comes to mind was we're only on the first or the second shot and, and the model goes, oh, you know, I don't like this top or, you know, I don't like this dress. And it's like, well, actually, it doesn't matter because, you know, all you've got to do is model it. It's, you know, it It doesn't matter that we don't like them. It's, we're being paid to produce the best visual and make it look as good as possible. I mean, some of the best models, again, another saying that I've got, I don't know, is you can put a bin bag on a really good model and they know how to, to they could just make it look a million dollars and, you know, they know what to do with it and how to sort of stand and you can put, an amazing, you know, thousand pound to five thousand pound dress on another model, and they make it look like a bin bag. You know, it's right. you've really – Some <laughs> people know well; they, they do. Some people know how to sort of. It's just, it's just this sort of little magic thing that that I don't know whether it's experience or. or you can always tell a really good model. They look when they're trying stuff. When they're trying the next outfit on they'll be looking in the mirror and they'll be adjusting it and they'll be pinning it in, you know, sort of pulling it in at the waist at the back or what it is, or, you know, if it's a lingerie shoot, they'll be adjusting the straps and various other things. And once you see that, you think, actually, yeah, I know, you know, that, that I'm comfortable with how they're, they're going to handle this. Um Know the the visual side in terms of me producing stuff. It's you know I shoot very very quickly. I mean sometimes I shoot live to the the computer when I'm in the studio and sometimes on location as well. But um, if you've got a client that's really good, sometimes within five or six frames, which for me can be like two seconds, they go right, yeah, we've got that next shot, and you're like what? Uh, uh. <laughs> it's like someone's just stopped you running, like you just hit a brick wall. And sometimes other clients will go, "Well, oh, actually, just shoot till till you think you've got it, you know." And I, I can do most of my shots will take three, five minutes at max, and in that, I'll probably have two, three, four hundred frames. Yeah, does I I, one of my clients says I don't mind how many bad frames you take, as long as you get me the two or three good ones. So right you know and, and sometimes that could be an accident i can be because i shoot so quickly and and four or five frames a second it might be that one frame that was before or after that other frame that is actually the magic frame there's you know i'm not one of these people that will take an hour and a half to do one shot it's that just doesn't you know, that doesn't doesn't feel right to me. It's not something I can do. I know some photographers do. But by the time you've set that shot up an hour and a half, the model's fallen asleep or, you know, come, gone completely bored. It's, you know, I, I like to keep everything flowing. Like, right, okay, next shot. Right, okay, next shot. Right, okay, next shot. Not Not that we're trying to jam as many shots in as we can in the day, but just to keep that flow.
0: Yeah. I mean, with with regards to model choice, this is something that, that I really feel people that are new to photographing models, and to be honest with you, maybe even people that have just developed bad habits over the years, I certainly went through a very bizarre phase of working with some absolutely atrocious people, <laughs> because I, I think a lot of people focus on either finance or now... What seems to have replaced finance for a lot of people in creative industries is is sort of social media recognition. Yeah. They tend to focus on like working with someone that has a following. And in most cases, that's not going to be someone that's particularly good at, at modeling because to be good at modeling, you don't often have the time to spend, you know, hours on social media because you're actually out yeah. working. Or you're working through an agency or whatnot. If you're yeah. looking for a model for something yourself, what, what advice would you give to people what they should be looking out for in a model's portfolio or in the images that they've, they've got, what are you looking for that tells you that person's going to be a good model or gives you the best chance?
1: I, I mean, when I'm look personally, when I'm looking for a model, I want to see, um, enough of a, of a variety in what he or she's doing, uh, either online or in their book, um, and show character, uh, you know, modeling has changed so much over the years. Um, you know, there's a lot more sort of street casting going on now. So, you know, the guy's got dreadlocks down to his waist or, you know, I've got one, uh, Paris based client, And on the last shoot, they said, right, we want a girl. And, uh, she's got to have like a sleeve of tattoos and uh, we want a nose piercing. And I'm like, wow, wow, brilliant. You know, the chances of getting, uh, the the model agencies are sort of turning around. So they are more diverse now that they're showing more people in, in terms of, you know, the scale. I mean, I suppose if you go out in the street and ask someone, you know, what's a model, they'll probably come up with the standard line of, you know, blonde and you know six foot and whatever and but that isn't necessarily the place i mean we're all individuals so you've really got to match the the job or the shoot to 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 the sort of what you're looking for um you know it, it, if you're i mean I, I don't shoot as much as i used to in lingerie but when i was doing. Tons and tons and tons of lingerie. You're looking for someone that's obviously going to fit the lingerie, that's going to make the lingerie look good, uh, that has got a a good body but isn't too – people need to sort of relate to it So, you don't want to frighten someone off. The client doesn't want to frighten someone off in thinking, actually, she's a model, but I'm never going to look like that if I put it on. Now, that could be a bra or it could be a dress or it, it could be anything. But, I mean, that's, you know, you've got to fit the model to the job. And when I'm looking for that, it is basically a question of going through. Sometimes, you know, if the client's a little bit unsure, we'll have a casting and we'll narrow the I get light boxes in from 12, maybe 14 of the London model agencies. And a light box is is literally a digital file that they email through. And it's got, I don't know, maybe 20 models on. And you click on each model and it takes you through to their page. And you can tick it. Yep, no, yep, no, no. So you narrow it down to maybe... I don't know, from from 120 models to like 30, the clients will then take a little bit of time to have a look through those models. And then if they're unsure, they go, well, actually, can we have a casting at the studio? And um, we'll bring a couple of garments along or uh, some lingerie or something. And we'll get those six models to come in at various times and we'll get them to try it on. I mean, you know, that's a luxury now because people haven't got that amount of time or the majority of clients haven't got that amount of time. We're we're all now uh, guilty of wanting everything now, if not yesterday. What do you mean I've got to wait two days for it? No, I want it now. I want it this afternoon or first thing tomorrow morning. When I shoot, probably without exception now, the clients go away with the images on the hard drive literally at the end of the day. You know, they're processed. I mean, I shoot raw, so they're processed as well to JPEGs, so that they can then uh, just quickly edit, and uh, sometimes I have to retouch later on, or sometimes there's no retouching. So, so yeah, I mean, looking for a model does. If I could sort of, there was a campaign that I did about a year ago, and um, the client was like, right, we've got this really really, really lovely couture range and uh, we want to shoot it on a, a grey colour armour in the studio. And I was like, yeah, brilliant, okay. And they sent me over a PDF of, of what we were shooting. I was like, wow, they're really lovely. Yeah, really beautiful. And I was like, who's the model? And they were like, right, still choosing the model. And um, and after like about a day, I thought, well, it's a bit, you know, normally they, they've got some idea of, of who they're choosing. And, uh, and then... They said right okay, we found her, and I can't remember her name is she's she's quite famous actually, but basically she's got really long gray hair down to her waist, and uh she's about early seventies and <laughs> obviously we're shooting for the slightly older woman, not she came into the studio and she was amazing I mean she was absolutely fantastic to go back to vogue again, she was modeling when she was in a 18, 19, 20 for Vogue. And she'd obviously stopped modeling, had a family. You know, she was then decided later on in life, actually, do you know what? I'm going to start modeling again. And she still had those sort of poses from Vogue, you know, the very sort of, it's almost uh, sort of uh, 60s type shots and, and poses. But um, she said now that she's busier now than she was when she was in her twenties. So w- model wise, you know, you can, it really depends on what the client's looking for. You know, it's, it's, if a client says to me, right, you know, we need, uh, um, someone that's, uh, again, I had another couture range and the client was saying, we want someone that's a bit like an ice maiden, you know, which is blonde. And I was like, wow, I know the exact model, you know, and I'd worked with her a couple of times before. So in that situation, you can recommend someone, and feel a hundred percent confident that you know that, you know, once if the client likes her, um, that you're going to get the guaranteed results. So
0: well, if I could jump in there for a second um, and circle back there on the older model, I don't, particularly know how to phrase it because i feel like everything you say now is going to piss someone off but yeah the the older model i feel like and this this is an entirely an opinion of mine so feel free to completely stomp over this we are headed towards a problem when it comes to the future generations of older models because at the moment there is a very big trend of I don't know. I've really got to be careful how I put this, but basically there's a very big trend at the moment of plastic surgery or minor or major that is irreversible in some sense. The the effects of it, even after you've had it removed will still be noticeable. And a lot of it is to do with the face, a lot of lip fillers, a lot of eyebrow stuff, a lot of stuff around the eyelids. And I don't think in future we're going to have an abundance of models to choose from for older stuff because so many people at 18 years old are trying to make themselves look like what they think 18 year old looks like when they they don't they don't need to make that adjustment because they look like an 18 year old and really when you are 50 as a model people want a model that looks 50 they don't want yep. a model that looks like they're trying to look 18 and I do think we're running into an issue here with there's going to be a shortage at some point because people are so focused on looking one age or looking like one type of person everyone's starting to look the same and it's not going to, it's not going to be useful past the age of about 25.
1: The trouble with that sort of 18 year old is they're probably being driven by social media in terms of their looks. Um, yeah, And obviously there's a certain sort of look that goes right the way across social media now for uh, the, that sort of holds that. I, I, I think a lot of, I can only speak for myself, but I think a lot of the older models, like for example, you know I can do a campaign and it's not unusual now that I'll do a campaign and we'll split the campaign. so it'll be 20 year olds to say 20 35 year olds, and then the campaign will then be 40 year olds to whatever. So there's two sides to the campaign. So there's the younger side and there's the older side. Now, um, I think the industry has got a lot more uh, realistic in that originally, uh, say, it, it, there was just one size fit at all. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, manufacturers have to make... You know, that size plus up to, I don't know, size 24, you know, size 28. You know, it's incredible. There's some fantastic uh, models out there that are not your standard size that are just absolutely, um, you know, reeling it in at the moment because it's so popular. But I certainly think for the older models, I haven't come across, I've only come across it once where the client sort of said to me, I can't. You know, we're not going to be able to use her because she's had her lips done. Uh, yeah. You know, with those. Um, when I was shooting a lot of lingerie, there was a big movement away from boob jobs. Uh, yeah. Clients w- wouldn't use any models that have had boob jobs because they just had so much kickback from the customers going she's had a boob job they're not real boobs you know the bra is never going to look like that on me uh and so a lot of if not every single one of my clients stopped using anyone that had had any sort of surgery at all i mean probably the biggest change is uh it's tattoos now at one point tattoos were a complete no-no anyone had a tattoo it was like there's no way we can use them now it's like you know if it's uh, the clients on particularly that bothered about it, because actually it's one second on the computer or actually we quite like tattoos, you know? So, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, the older, I, I don't shoot a massive amount of, of, of older models, but I'm, I, I don't, I'm not sure if there is going to be a shortage of them because there are always the, the more sort of mainstream models there that shoot for, TV commercials that, that, you know, and we all see it every day we we turn the TV on or, you know, pick up anything. There's always you know, the biggest, probably one of the biggest changes over the industry that, that I've noticed is the people that are actually, because we're all living longer, and um, because the people that have actually got the money are the are an older generation now, there's more emphasis onto the older side of the market. You know, the younger generation are never going to be able to probably at this rate afford their own buy a house, you know, buy whatever. There's there's a sort of feel-good factor as well. Um a lot, you know, a lot of the makeup artists say that that, you know, you can go out and buy yourself uh I don't know, a new lipstick and you feel a million dollars as going out and buying yourself a new dress is a bit, well, can be a bit more expensive. So, yeah. you know, the, the people that are prepared to spend decent amounts of money, uh, are you know, can be an older generation. So, you know, the older, that, the, the, there's a, a, a glasses range that I shoot for, uh, sunglasses and, uh, ordinary glasses. And, uh, they're quite a high, uh, key brands and they always aim at obviously sunglasses probably more of the emphasis is, is, is taken down the sort of the younger market. And because as we get older, most of us, including myself here, work, <laughs> have to wear glasses. Then, you know, the older campaign is more focused towards the, the, the slightly older model and things. And I'm not sure that there are exactly, you know, what is a model now? A model where we can all be models, you know, apart from myself, <laughs> we can all
0: be models. <laughs> Me too.
1: I mean, I, you know, I like being on the, the, this end of the camera. I don't like being at the other end of the camera. I've, you know, there's been a couple of occasions when TV crews have come in and things, BBC one came in once and ITV channel four. And it's really weird. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, you know, yeah, I do it, but I'm not comfortable with it. It's, it's, you know, I like being this side and, um, yeah, I, I like, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. And, and, you know, I think you've got to do that. But, but yeah, modeling, I think the secret to that is, is that, you know, they've got to love what they want to do as well. You know, and there's good days and bad days. You know, the weather's awful at the moment. You know, chances are that unless you're, you know, none of us can travel now, but uh, you know, when we could travel, uh, you know, the chances are that if you were really lucky, you'd be somewhere abroad shooting swimwear. If you were really unlucky, you'd be somewhere in England pretending, pretending it was somewhere <laughs> abroad, you know, freezing. I mean, I've shot, I've shot on Canberra Sands in January for a client swimwear. And, you know, the models have got goose pimples on their goose pimples that are blue, but you know, you're, you're professional right this is what we've got to do it's it's five shots we can't physically the client can't afford to go abroad to shoot five shots so we've got to do it you know probably now i mean i i I do very little ecom but now it would probably just be shot on white so
0: well i actually think it's quite interesting last night i had a uh, former Playboy model on the podcast who lives in California. I've spoken to photographers that are in San Diego, photographers that are down in Hollywood. Yeah. And there is something so funny to the idea that um, it's hard to be a photographer in California because all I would say to them is just come to England for three months yeah, and shoot outdoors for that three months. You're only allowed to shoot outdoors, see how many yeah. images you go home with, compared to what you could get if you're in California. um, You actually brought up something that I, I would love to get onto a little bit here. You know, we're kind of in that ballpark, like you said, of, of brands are being more... Uh, I don't really like buzzwords, unfortunately, because they seem to be very yeah. popular at the moment. But brands and the fashion industry is being a lot more inclusive, as it were. Yeah. And a big part of the pushback that you were talking about when it came to, you know... Clients looking for more realism in in the models that they were using. One of the things is is the pushback on the ethics of retouching, and I feel like there was a point around. I've only been a photographer since 2013, and I am really am barely one. But I feel like around 2005 ish to about 2015, there was a pretty long stretch there where a part of the photographic community was just seeing how far they could push stuff. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily about making things look good. It, well, I, I, I actually don't really know what was going on. I imagine that there was some kind of substance involved with some of the retouching that I've seen because some of the ideas are certainly outside the box, but mm. pushing the limits of what you can even get away with being a human body essentially yeah when it comes to like retouching for you what's what's the role of retouching in your work?
1: It depends if I 'm shooting for myself and it depends if i'm shooting. Obviously, for the clients, um, the clients tend to now not like any retouching at all. I mean, you know, obviously, if we've got something that is completely out of place, like there's a bulldog clip showing on the back of the dress or something, then, yeah, that's retouched. Or... Um, I don't know, maybe the color of the, the the item isn't quite as accurate. You know, they didn't have, it's it's not unusual for me to be shooting something and it'll be in blue, but because they haven't got the fabric in that, that it is actually going to be launched with, which is green, they want to then change it afterwards back, you know, from blue to green. But in terms of, you know, stretching legs and nipping in waists and, and stuff like that, most of the clients, if not all the clients, certainly that I shoot with, don't do it. In fact, some of my clients have actually done a sort of thing, a campaign of uh, no retouching. So they'll use that as a selling point. Um, for me personally, when I'm doing tests, yeah, sometimes I'll nip the waist in a little bit or maybe I'll just, you know, stretch the legs a fraction or something like that but you know that's for me I think uh, clients now are very aware of social media and if they do something that isn't correct in terms of you know we've stretched her legs so that she looks Amazonian and someone cottons onto it, they know that the, the kickback that they can get could absolutely you know wreck that campaign. So they tend to keep it as realistic as possible. You know, if if we're doing a beauty campaign, um it's quite trendy now, not trendy, but it's quite acceptable now to have lines. You know, it's quite acceptable to to show that that I mean, one of my pet hates is, I don't use it, but, you know, FaceTune. And um, when someone overuses it and it m- makes it look like they've had five, five days of plastic surgery, there's just no expression there. So, yeah, you know, uh, that's where the pressure in terms of a photographer, it, if it is pressure, you know, your lighting has got to be sympathetic to, to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, in that, in that sense, it's restrictive in, in the yeah. sense of like, you're having you 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 haven't got that crutch anymore like i was saying there's that period where people were really leaning on retouching and I, I promise any anyone that's got a photography account on instagram as in they are they are following a lot of photography accounts therefore the algorithms chasing them with other accounts they're going to come across some stuff that has been retouched in ways yeah. that are just inhuman they're almost they almost it should come under some kind of geneva convention of not doing yeah. that to a yeah, human yeah. being in a photo yeah Yeah. You've mentioned a few times here about working for brands and I'm always fascinated by giving up creative control because I think for a lot of people who want to be a creative, it's very hard for them to produce something that they don't have the final stamp on and that might hold them back generally. What is, you know, how has that come about you working for these bigger brands? What, what is your What's made you successful with that? Because obviously, like you said, it's a very competitive industry. So, what's made you successful and made brands want to come to you? And how are you with giving up that that creative control?
1: Uh, Basically, they're paying you to produce something. Now, the way that brands come to me, it can be through an advertising agency or it can become direct. I do two mail outs a month to. Around about ten thousand people, so I'm mailing out to twenty thousand people a month. Now that can be, you know, anyone from creatives within brands, art directors, uh, advertising agencies. The whole I'm firing my work out there all the time. So yeah, as I used to have an agent, but you know she was brilliant. uh, Sue her name was, and she said to me, Ian. You don't need me, you know. You do enough by yourself. You're so driven that that you know you don't really need what I do because obviously you know an agent will take you on, but they want a certain amount, a certain cut from your uh, from your turnover. Um, And uh, at the time, I was a little bit disappointed because I felt I'd been rejected. But actually, um, I am. I always have been very driven, and you know, I always. I get I get someone in and they say, what's the secret to your success? And I go, there isn't any secret. It's just bloody hard work. You know, you have got to... I would say it's like standing on a down escalator. The moment you stand still, you go backwards. You have right. got to keep running. And then you've got to run faster, you know, to start. So you've got to put those images out there in front of as many people as possible. And, you know, recommendation is a great thing. You know, some clients go, you know well we recommended you to so-and-so and you go ah oh, well brilliant thank you very much you know and and sometimes I'll get odd directors from big ad agencies going oh you know you've been mailing us now for five years <laughs> and that's the first bite I've had yeah, yeah right okay yeah we've got something for you you know I went in I did uh some packaging um for uh Actually, there's a TV campaign that's literally just finished at the moment, and I did all the uh, stills for this product. And uh, um, I went in, and and the art director said, you know, she she was really lovely, and she said to me, Ian, she said, you know, and I don't mean this as a sort of just bigging myself up, but she said I've been following you like for five or six years now, and I absolutely love your work and. You know, this is the first opportunity I've had to to use you. At first, I thought she was winding me up. You know, I was sort of laughing, and she was deadly serious. You know, there's there's a there's you've there's a with me and and with them as well. There's a you've got to put the right person in, you know, the right situation. So for them, this was the right job for me, and you know, I got that. Some clients know me because. I, um, I'm always very easy you know there's there's nothing you know yeah there are problems on shoots and things but you've got to keep it moving and you've got to keep that flow going and, and yeah you know the first shot of the day is always the most not difficult, but always the slowest because everyone has to get into that groove. And then when you're in that groove, it's like, "Wang, okay, bang, 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 you go and, you know, you're producing the work. And now uh, sometimes, you know, the client will look at the, the screen and yep, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. So it's literally, you've got to promote yourself. You've got, you know, one of the, one of the things I say is the easy part of our job is pressing the button. You know, that's the easy bit of what we do. You know, you've got to be your own accountant. You've got to be your own manager. You've got to be, you don't have to be. Obviously, you can pay people for this, but you know, you've got to, you've got to promote yourself. You can be the best photographer out there. You can be the best anything out there. But if no one knows you exist, you ain't, you know, it's, you've got to push it. You've got to push it. I mean, my social media, my Instagram, is is I I just use that as a little sort of test board and you know I'll put images on there on a daily basis and I'm not really that bothered about likes and stuff it doesn't really bother me I'm not in a huge league with with social media but you know if that one does well I' think okay yeah that was that was yeah that got a good reaction okay I'll I'll probably use that in my next mail campaign you know and I'll mail out so I've got various sections so I've got a lingerie section that you know the lingerie images go out to all of these lingerie manufacturers and clients i've got an ad agency section so all my advertising campaigns go out to the advertisers i've got a fashion section and i've got a beauty section so i tailor the shots i mean there's no point in putting a beauty shot and, and sending it out to a, a you know a lingerie manufacturer it just doesn't make sense so you've got it it's like dangling a carrot you've got to dangle that carrot in front of them and some people even if they delete it within like two seconds you know they go oh, it, you know they've come in and you know, their inbox has got 200 emails on and you know my image pops up and they're like oh yeah delete uh subconsciously they sort of that i can, i can recommend i can I can recall images in, in models' books that I saw four years ago. The moment that I see it, them, I think, like, oh my God, yeah, you had that image, didn't you? Right? Sometimes I don't remember their names.
0: It's kind of like planting a seed to, to an yeah. extent.
1: Yeah. So you're planting that seed, and, and your next campaign might be binned, and your next email might be binned, and your next email. But at some point or other, you know, that is just going, Oh yeah. Or you might, you know, the number of jobs that I've, I've had that my, my mailer has, has, has landed 10 minutes after they've been told, right, we've got to do this shoot and we need it like tomorrow. Right, yeah. We need it. Yeah. We need it yesterday. I mean, that's the other thing that's changed as well is, is, you know, probably five years ago, maybe more than that, you know, there was a huge lead up into campaigns and shoots and stuff. It's not unusual for, you know, in the past, I've had someone, no one ever rings you up anymore. Everyone just emails you, or, you know, there's never, your phone doesn't, if it is ringing, someone's trying to sell you something. But, uh, you know, <laughs> occasionally when your phone rings, you think, oh, what the, what, what's that, you know, what are you doing uh, from a client? And I'm going, uh, well, I'm just in the office at the moment. And they go, can you shoot this afternoon? And I'm going, yeah, right. Okay. We've just been told we need this campaign by tonight, you know, and I'm like, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah, right, I can pull it together for you. That's, you know, that's the thing as a photographer, as I said to you just before, pressing the button is the easy bit because everything is set up. But, you know, sometimes I would have to organize a whole campaign. Now that campaign might be a day, you know, one of the longest shoots I've ever done was six weeks in Cape town. And I shot every single day for six weeks in Cape town. We had half a day off in six weeks. Right. And that was from five o'clock in the morning, I was getting up doing a weather call. Uh, We were shooting with 12 models a day. Sometimes all 12 models are in the same shot. Uh, And we'd finish shooting at eight o'clock at night. We'd we'd get back, have a shower. The client would want to go out and he's in the, you know, a really good restaurant or something like that. And I'd be climbing back into bed at probably 12.30 at night and then back up at five again the next morning. And it was day after day after day. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, they paid really well for it. It was a great client. It was actually, it was a men's work campaign. And, um you know, but stuff like that is so, once you're pressing a button, that's the easy bit. You know, I'd have them go to me we're in the middle of of Cape Town shooting and, you know, yes, we've got production and production are incredible people. You know, but the answer is yes. What's the question? Um, You know, and the the client had turned to me the day before and go, right, tomorrow I've just seen this amazing shoot that was done in America and there's a load of guys sitting on like wooden benches and they look like they've just come off American football field. We want to do that tomorrow, with with the sports brand that would. So this menswear, it had uh, sort of bits that could be used for golf. It could be bits that were used for sort of, you know, it had that sort of multifacet use, so that you could bum right, around right. on the sofa on it, but actually you wouldn't look out out of place on the golf course, you know. And you know, I turn to production and go, right, okay, well, we need an American football. Field scenario set up for tomorrow. Actually, we need American, you know, helmets, those helmets with the, the thing on the front, the visor on the front, stuff like that, the shoulder blades, the shoulder pads and stuff. And you could see them going, right. Uh, huh. you know, so but that's what you've got to do, you know. The, so setting all of this sort of stuff up is, is can be huge, but the moment you're you're pressing that button, it's you know, it's all set up. It's all done. It's it's a process and, and and you need that. Some of it can be incredibly pressurized because, you know, you're shooting this today, but you're thinking about tomorrow and the day after and the day after because you're thinking, you know, and certainly something like Cape Town, all of a sudden there's, you know, we normally shoot there January, February, March because our oh, winter, but it's their summer. And uh, there can be huge winds in Cape Town because obviously you're on the the Cape. You've got to be prepared to, you know, up camp and go to the opposite side of the Cape. You know, and, and you can be on the way to this, and you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, this isn't going to happen on, you know, right? Okay, we need to shift it now. So there's all those sort of hidden things that that no one ever sees in a photograph. You know, the photograph is the end product, and they go. Oh, we wouldn't have shot with that palm tree in the background. Or actually, why did they shoot down that road? Actually, we just traveled 30 miles over the other side of the Cape because we couldn't even stand up on that side of the Cape and stuff. Right. And, and and so you know, when you that's what I said to you before about your podcast, shedding light on on what happens behind the photographs is incredible eye-opener and 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 the way different people handle different situations. It's, it's, uh, for me personally, you know, your podcast is really enjoyable and, and, you know, maybe I can relate to it a bit more as a photographer. And, and, you know, when you're interviewing some of the other people, I go, yeah, I know what they're talking about. Or actually, yeah, you know, I've been in that scenario, but, but that's the thing that, that I think people that aren't involved in the business don't really realize is, is sometimes, Everything could have been against you, but actually, the end product is right there's the shot, or, or there's the shots. And, you know, that was an absolute miracle we got those. You know, I've yeah. shot in, I've shot in uh, that tail end of tornadoes, you know, because the client's like, we can't, we're in the Caribbean, you know, we can't shelve three days. We've shot inside for two and a half days you know we're supposed to be shooting outside we cannot you know right we've got to shoot outside okay right i don't want the palm trees bending over too much you know we're going to stop all that debris (laughs) flying flying along the beach no it's you know i think you know and and certainly now it's i mean budgets are shrunk so the the amount of trips that in comparison to what i used to do are, are you know, I've certainly come down, but, uh, you know, you can't guarantee the weather anywhere in the world now. You know, certainly, you know what the UK is, you know, but clients used to say, where can we shoot where we can have guaranteed weather? And, you know, if we're in the middle of winter, I would always say like Cape Town or Mexico or whatever. And there's no guarantees anymore like that. And And, you know, Again, over the last probably three or four years, um, our industry has changed as well. And so is what the consumers want. So, you know, e-com is probably, and I heard you talking about it um, I was playing the podcast yesterday, but certainly talking to another photographer about it. But, you know, for me, e-com is a bit, well, not a bit, a lot soul-destroying, you know, because it's front, side, back, close up, front, side, back, close up. And so I tend not to do it, you know, but there are a lot of people out there that that is their main income, you know, that because yeah. that's where the main, dis- de- you know, that's where the main demand is. You know, you've got uh, you've got models that, that they'd rather work than not work. So if you've got three days this week of e-com, you do three days of e-com. You know, there's certainly the days have gone of people going, Ashley, Sorry, you know I don't do that. I, it, it, there's. I think you either accept what's happening, or you set your own your own little boundaries, and you go right. You know I can't do that. I just, I, I one of my friends was was head and uh, by a big, 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 huge, inter- worldwide company, and they do their own ecom and um i've seen stylists and photographers sitting outside on the pavement outside just broken people and you know <laughs> <laughs> and when i when i went in the studio there was just line after line after line of of t-shirts and and jeans and and and, and you're just you're a robot and And I can't yeah. do that it it doesn't it and I know maybe some people can can do it, and I know some people can can right this is what I've got to do, this is what I do, but for me, I can't do it i it's just I have done don't get me wrong, I have done some because you know if I've shot three days of of a campaign for a client and they go, Oh, well, we've got a day of ecom at the end, can you shoot it? Of course, I do it because it's it's part of that job. But yeah. it's the part that I don't enjoy. It's 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 almost like pulling teeth, you know, and, and there's no excitement. And I tell you what the main word for me is, there's no creativity in it.
0: No. I mean, to go back earlier, you, you kind of talked a little bit about the, the competition involved and something that I've noticed as a bit of a trend with social media. And thanks to being you know, locked in for what feels like about a hundred years now. Social media tends to be one of the only outlets we have to talk to people or to see what other people are up to. Yeah. Which is usually that they're just looking at social media. (laughs) Um, I've noticed a bit of a campaign of I'm going to call bullshit on it, but it's basically a campaign that says that there's a, there's a masculinity to competition in an industry and that, we don't actually need that competition for the industry to move forward. We could actually all help each other out and mm. things would move forward through cooperation and through, uh, through kind of enabling other people. And, and, and I'm trying my best not to be a Londoner here, but bigging up yep. other people that are in industry rather than seeing everyone as a threat. And honestly, it sounds wonderful. It sounds like it should come from a Disney film, but it might be one of the stupidest things that I've ever heard because Whilst I'm not saying people need to actually, you know, attack other people that are in the same industry as them, having that competition is the thing that makes you want to be better. It's the thing that drives you. And if you look at sports, if everyone was half-assing it, it would be very easy to win something and people wouldn't yes. feel the need to push themselves to the absolute limit. The biggest progresses we've seen in technology, in science, in everything have always come from war which is pretty much the absolute ultimate competition. It is a war, unfortunately. And whilst that can probably be designated as, as masculine to an extent, although based on the people that I've known throughout my life, I don't know many people that aren't assholes, to be completely honest with you. People are always in some way or another in conflict with someone. That's the nature of being a human being. The idea that you don't need that competition to push forward, you don't need to be in that industry where there's a million other fish and you're all after the same... Um, the same bait, I, I, ju- I just feel like the competition is really underappreciated actually for wanting, to, for making you want to push yourself harder and and for other people to want to improve what they're doing. And if we take that away and we take away that competitive edge, I actually think we're going to, like you said, the exact perfect scenario. And I, I couldn't, I can't even think of any way you could put it better is what will happen is the whole industry will be standing on a down escalator yep. and wondering why it's not moving forwards, but refusing to take a step forward
1: yeah come on, uh, competition is the thing that drives us. If you're not competitive, you're not going to survive you know it's it's also for me, if I see a shoot an image, and I think, Wow, that's amazing. you know, wow, I want to do something like that or better or you know, that's the whole that's the whole point of if I was the only photographer in the world, it would be boring. Right, if I was producing the only women the, the images in the world, it would be boring. you know everyone ah oh, yeah, I, all he ever does is shoot like that, you know, but because we're seeing um you know because I'm seeing because you're seeing so many different things and so many different influences, that surely is what drives you forward you know right. it's it's yeah. You, know, you might even go in I love the tape modern, but you go in the tape modern and I'm, I'm just looking at something. It might be. I always remember that giant spider that was in there. It was huge. Yeah. It was like I don't know, thirty meters high, and you could walk under its legs and things. I was like, wow, that is amazing. That that you know, and so someone else could go, what the hell's that? That's you know, I just don't understand that. I went in there when they did that crack that ran the whole way on the floor, right the way through the turbine hall. And I yeah. don't know what artist it was, but it almost been like there was a, a, an earthquake and the turbine hall had sort of split and it started off a couple of centimetres and ended up at the other end, you know, massive. You could put your foot through it and stuff. And and I was like, wow, images like that, I think, and, and situations like that influence what you do and they should influence what you do. Whether you think, actually, do you know what? I just don't understand that. Or actually, wow, that's incredible. Um, that's what drives us on, or that's what should drive you on. Um, you know, I, probably one of the questions I get the most, probably from from students, is um, yeah, what, as I said, I've probably touched on it before. What's the secret to your success? And I said there isn't any secret. It's just you've got to keep you know pushing and driving yourself, and and for me, creating. You know, if you're a creative person, that's the biggest thing, the frustrating thing at the moment in lockdown is is it's almost like you've been shackled. You know, the, your creativity is 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 been compressed, and and yeah, we can all still be creative in a small way, but you know, I can't travel at the moment. You know, my studio's in London. I'm out of London. Um, yeah, yeah. I can take my iPhone out with me and do various little bits and pieces. I can revisit, which I've been doing. Um, you know, some of the shoots that I've done and think, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do like a remix. And I'm talking, you know, music wise, I'll do a remix on this one. I'll I'll approach it again, but in a different way. And it is about keeping that creative juices flowing. And part of that is, is the competition. Come on, if you're in the right. Olympics and you're the only runner in eight lanes, you know, you've got no competition. It's probably not worth doing because you've got nothing yeah. to compare yourself against apart from maybe, you know, the last the last world record. But for us, it's surely it's what drives you forward. And anyone that I think that is frightened of competition is is maybe not. I don't know, they're not using it as a, in the right way. You know, Yeah. you know. You can, you can be frightened. Well, I feel of, uh, like it's
0: like playing a video game and turning all of the sliders that are there to assist you up yeah, to 100 yeah. and making the computer be as weak as possible. And yeah. then, you, you know, say you're playing uh, a football, like a, for the Americans listening, a soccer, but a football game and you're winning every game 10-0. After five minutes, what's the point of that?
1: Well, there's no enjoyment in it.
0: Exactly. So if you can't beat the game immediately at its standard level, the, the trick is to, to get better at the game, not to make the game worse. And I feel that's what, and, I, and not to go down a whole socio-political thing here, but I, def- I definitely think I'm 32 years old. I despair at some of what I hear from the generations under and even around me when it comes to making it easier and easier and easier and easier and easier for things to be done. There's, there's, a, there's certainly a benefit to that in some cases, but what worries me is the people that are more concerned with bringing other people down, whether that be in their ability or their, their, how they're accepted or anything like that, as opposed to building themselves up. And whilst it's great to sort of mask it with the idea of like, look, I'm trying to make everything accessible for everybody. I'm trying to make you know people of all abilities get recognition, which I absolutely don't think people should be. I feel like you know when I see a photographer like yourself, where I you know I'm 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 fixed on your work. I'm I'm, you know I when you post something, I'm excited to see it. I'm I'm a fan of your work. I I don't want to pretend I have that same emotion for every person that just presses a button on their camera with no care or attention because I'm going to encourage more and more of people just not really giving a shit and not producing stuff that is in any way uplifting to the soul so to speak and I just my my worry right now is that we are just headed down this path of cameras are being dumbed down cameras are being made idiot proof you know I I'm because of mostly because of my wife I have to blame her I now shoot Sony and to be honest with you half the time I don't feel like I'm needed like the camera just does it without me so the cameras are being made idiot proof everyone thinks that you can just buy a preset slap that on a photo and that's it that's the photo done you can relight stuff after the photo taken, which is obviously terrible. It never actually looks like it's been relit. It doesn't look good at all. I just, my worry is that by removing the the positives of competition, and you know what? I've lost. I've lost competition more often than I've won. And it's not about me saying, oh, it's always benefited me. Therefore, everyone else should just put up with it because it's what I want. It's like, no, actually, I'm not a particularly exceptional photographer by any stretch of the imagination but I like working hard to get better at what I do. And I like being inspired by other photographers. And I actually said a while back and I got, I got a pretty decent amount of stick for it. Ideal scenario for me as a fan of photography is to be the worst photographer in the world. (laughs) Because if I'm the worst one, everything must be inspiring to me, but I can't pretend that it is.
1: Yeah. You know, coming to cameras and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is, I turn all the presets off on my camera. I don't use any of the presets. I override everything. The first thing I do is I turn them all off because I want to shoot the way that I want to shoot. I don't want the camera shooting the way it thinks I should shoot. Uh, right. The same. The same with, you know, I shoot it. Uh, the best thing one of my assistants ever uh, talked me into, but but I always used to shoot into the computer. And then we used to open up Photoshop and we used to have a look at it in Photoshop. And it was like, oh, God, it's such a, you know, such a long winded process. And I now shoot directly into Capture One. And, you know, for those people that don't know Capture One, it's a piece of software that, that, you know, you shoot into and you can set your own presets into it. So... If I'm shooting, I love shooting daylight. Probably 90% of my shoots are with daylight. Uh, And, you know, the thing with daylight, certainly in the UK, it can change within two milliseconds. You know, one minute you've got incredible sunlight. The next minute it's pitch black and it's teeming down with rain. So you need some help sometimes because if we've got 30 shots to do that day and we've had sunshine for the first five, the client doesn't want to see the model in, you know, teaming down rain. So this piece of software within, obviously, limits, you can adjust the shots as they're coming in so that you can make them warmer, you can make them cooler, you can give them a bit more contrast if the sun goes in so that you can make it look like it was sunny, et cetera, et cetera. So you... You're controlling that, not the other way around. You know, I'm not a massive fan. And don't get me wrong, I've I've got my iPhone. You know, people say to me, what's the best camera I can buy? And I say, you've probably already got it in your pocket. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, you've probably got your iPhone or your Samsung. And they go, yeah, but I want a camera. And I go, right, okay. So I might recommend something. And I'll see them six weeks later, six months later. And I go, how are you getting on? Oh, it's in the drawer at home. You know, the one time I I needed it, I'd left it at home. And I'm like, well, so, you know, we all, you know, certainly now the iPhone is, it got to an incredible standard. And I have done the odd shoot on the iPhone. I can't do it with clients because if I'm shooting on the iPhone with a client, they'll look at me and go, what the hell are we paying you for? We can do that. You know, and some clients do actually. Some of the e is literally just shot on the iPhone on, on a white wall in the office. You know, we don't want to pay a photographer 800, 1200 pound a day, two grand a day when we can do it for nothing. Yeah. You know, So there's got to there's be a reason, you know, and you've got to get your own stamp on that. And, you know, if we all use Nikon or, or Canon or Fuji or Sony and we all just leave it on auto, we're all, yeah sometimes there's pressures where you actually, you know, you need to be able to do that because, you know, there's just too many things happening and yeah, but personally I don't, I don't use any of the presets on it and, you know, I will always override everything. If I buy a new camera and, um, you know, probably the last time I bought one was three years ago because it's so expensive now. Uh, don't get me wrong. You can get one for a hundred pounds, but you know, the thing with, I might want a client that might want to, you right. know, shoot. They'll, they'll want 60 meg files, raw files. They might want to shoot followed by 4K, 8K video, and um, you've got to be able to offer all of that. As you said uh, uh, ages and ages ago when we first started talking, you can't bullshit now. You know, mm. don't talk about, don't say you can do this and you can't. Or if the client says to you, "All uh, right," you know can we retouch that out afterwards? If, you know, you, you say, yeah, we can retouch it out. Or actually, no, that's going to be a bit more difficult because actually it's pinstriped and, you know, pinstripes. It can, but it's going to take a lot more. So uh, try and get your own your own mark on it and try and get what you're comfortable with. When I hold my camera, it's like I've got a glove on. I don't even notice it.
0: Yeah, the best camera is the one that gets out your way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not there. I mean, it is, sometimes it's, it's like, wow, you know, I didn't realize, I mean, you know, they tend to be heavier rather than lighter, although they are getting lighter, but um, I don't use a tripod, for example, you know, very rarely will I use a tripod because I like that freedom. You know, I might have a lead going straight across to the computer or something so we can feed the shots in, but I feel it's like someone's got a hold of your feet for me on a tripod yeah. i can't move yeah. it's like right and i know there are certain times where you need that where the client says no it has to be level you know i want i want it parallel there and you know it has to be so yep okay but when i'm shooting fashion and beauty there's i just move around you know it might be that the shot actually wow that looks great from above but actually if you turn your head left and i drop down lower and it's all like bang 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 instant instant bang 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 wow that really works yeah okay all right let's just stick with that for a second right okay good 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 um you can't do that so
0: well i feel like that comes down quite often to uh, one thing i do say quite often is people tend to try and outsmart themselves yeah and you can't always predict your own subconscious and when you're like you say when you're you're in that zone you're shooting whatever you're doing, but that's obviously for the sake of this podcast, let's stick with photography. <laughs> you're in that zone, you're shooting and you're finding it. Like you're finding yeah. the angle, you're finding the distance, everything's, you're feeling it. Like it's not an intellectual yeah. decision. It's, it's a feeling, it's an emotion almost. It's, yeah. it's a subconscious decision. And I feel like a lot of photography, especially what I see on YouTube or in some cases, what I have seen when I've, I've spent, Um, quite a bit of time watching other photographers. Like if I get the opportunity to assist, I always want to. Yeah, yeah. There are photographers that try and outsmart their own subconscious and it really backfires quite quickly because for me, the second I put my camera on a tripod, in most cases, the first thing my body wants to do is to take it off the tripod because the one place I've put it is the one place I refuse to take a picture. And I think it goes back to me being a dickhead at school and not ever listening to any of the rules. But I feel like there's almost like a a representation in that having the camera on a tripod that it's being held down. And like you said, holding your feet. So my subconscious wants to take over and say, no, no, we need to find where it's going to end up. So just making a decision based on intellect isn't going to lead to the emotional result that you want. If I could actually ask you a question really quickly, since we're in the gear ballpark and I don't tend to talk about gear too much, I don't think there's any other industry or any other creative industry, that's a very important addition there, where people get into it solely for the technology. Like music, I think, is a good comparison to photography in a lot of ways. And I don't, I was in music for for quite a few years. I don't really know many people that picked up a guitar because of the guitar. They quite often came to it through influence of listening to this band or this musician or Or whatever. That's how they found their way in. Photography is very strange in the sense that there are people involved that have entirely started doing it and continue to do it on the sole basis of the the technology. And not not really the taste or the enjoyment of the craft or the art or influence, but just the piece of technology. And it and they persevere, which is almost mind-blowing to me because it's one thing to get into something for a really abstract reason, but it's another thing to continue to throw money into it and to continue Mm. to pursue it, but without ever the intention of doing anything other than being not so much a photographer, but a gear owner.
1: Yeah. But doesn't, doesn't that always show in what they produce? You know, they're, they're, they're not producing or, you know, there's a bit of a generalization here, but surely they're not producing anything that has got any sort of, value or creativity or, you know, an apology to those people that are, but, uh, you know, it's right. Okay. I want the best of this, right. I, you know, if I buy this lens, which is five times more expensive than than this lens, I'm going to get 20 times a better shot. You know, if I buy this camera, you know, and it's 15 times more expensive than the previous camera, I'm going to be a better photographer. It doesn't make you a better photographer, you know, if I can go back to my college days, this is one thing that stuck in my mind. And again, it's it's quite a weird thing to say. The very first day I was at photography college, um, there was probably thirty of us in in the class, and the tutor stood up after you know we all introduced ourselves and, and everyone got to know everyone else and stuff. And he said, "Right, okay, um, not all of us had cameras. There was probably two or three people out of those." People that had cameras, you know, the, the college provided cameras and things. And he said, Right, okay, um, those people with cameras, I want you to put them down. Okay, now the whole class, I want you to go outside for an hour and I want you to take some photographs. And we were like, Right, okay, uh, how can we take photographs without a camera? And he said, Your eyes, you see the photography, you see the shots. Before you actually take them. And that was always something that sort of stuck in my mind and it still st- does to these days is that, you know, how many times do you see people walking around with a camera and looking through it and not really, you know, they're not really sure what they want to photograph, you know, and they're sort of walking around and they're, they're trying to make, right? Uh, I don't know whether it's sort of second nature to me, but a lot of the time I will see the shot before I actually even pick up anything. You know, that could be my iPhone or that could be, you know, my, my Canon. Uh, I can see it and I can see what I want to do and I can almost visualize what it is. It doesn't always work like that because, you know, we're not in a guaranteed creative, you know, sometimes you can get up feeling incredible and go in and, and it, it doesn't quite happen, you know, it's not a disaster, but it doesn't, sometimes you go in you think, oh, okay, right. Um, And every time you press the button, it's like, wow, this is, wow, these are really working. Wow. This is, what is that magic ingredient? I don't know. You know, if, if, if I knew that would probably, you know, I'd probably be a rich man, but you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no guarantee. Well, if I I could bottle it, I could sell it, you know, and I'd probably be, you know, I'd probably be Elon Musk or whatever, you know, and it belong, You know, it's just there's no there's no what you what you do is is you know what is in your creativity and and yeah, I can understand being you know I I don't know being a a photography geek if you like and and having the best camera you know putting that image into the best computer you know doing that collecting you know, the whole range of cameras, it's it's not, I'm not really that bothered about what I shoot on as long as I get the, the end result. You know, sometimes, as I say, I've done great. I've gone, okay, we'll just do a, let's do a couple of frames on, on the iPhone, just so, you know, I see how that looks. Cause sometimes when I'm looking at it with my own eyes, say, makeup, for example, and, and makeup and hair, and I go, yeah, that, that's brilliant. I'll do a quick click with my iPhone, and then I'll look at it on the iPhone, and it's like, because it's it's actually separated from you know what I'm looking at, I can see it in a different light, and I think, oh, yeah, that really looks good. Or actually, maybe if we just change the angle on that and flip it over, and then I'll do maybe 10, 12 shots and it right okay yeah i'll show the model and i go right okay yeah let's shoot now and we'll start to shoot with my canon and so that everyone understands what we're trying to get you know certainly another thing that that from from what i get from models and various other people a lot of photographers are very frightened to show their image while they're actually doing it or or just after they've done it okay yeah well uh uh, I'll process those tomorrow and I'll send them to you the day after. And, uh, you're not, uh, you know, to me, the more people, that's why it, if I can't shoot directly to the computer, I'll, the memory card will be loaded up within seconds of finishing and everyone gathers around the computer and we all look at it, you know, and someone will go, well, actually, if, if we flip the hair over and the model goes, well, actually, if I change my pose a little bit, like that and you know i think i look better from this angle and everyone sees them and we go yep okay well let's do that again then and then we do another three or five minutes of like brilliant yeah that really works now and you know i've shot with models that i've done shoots six months and nine months ago and they've still not seen the images you know because I don't know whether it's an insecurity. Uh, you know, some people think, well, actually, if everyone doesn't like it, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to feel a bit of an idiot. So well, it's, you know, you've you've got to get your own standards and, and what you actually, what you're comfortable with and how you create.
0: Well, it's 100% an insecurity. And I think it also can be indicative of a couple of things. Maybe there's someone that relies on retouching to, to yeah. get the look that they have. and they're scared to show something previous to that stage and it could also be a situation and I've certainly been around I can think of one photographer in particular who there's a very very 90s expression about writing checks uh, that your ass can't cash and he was very good (laughs) he was very good at writing checks and not particularly good at cashing them when it came to talking about all of the amazing things that he could do and it's it's sometimes it's 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 better to as much as like, you know, I've obviously talked to uh, Lib about the the competition being incredibly important, but it's also important to understand your place within that saying you're the best at something doesn't make you the best at something. And actually, uh, one of the one of the biggest keys to success with anything, I genuinely think is a little bit of self-hatred, because (laughs) if you aren't happy with what you're doing, you're and you have that that want to get better at it, you're going to fight. You're going to, you're going to keep trying to push up that escalator. And and a lot of people get more consumed with being seen as successful or seen as as good at something, as opposed to actually hitting those markers themselves. You just talked about something and I promised at the beginning I would talk about it. So you kind of you went in that direction. You said about people not seeing photos that have been taken of them. Um, And before we started, you mentioned about NDAs. Now, I've only ever signed two in my life. They were both for weddings for people that um, I couldn't say who they are. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to show pictures. The frustration of of an NDA, like how much does that drive you mad um, to have an NDA on something, especially if it comes out really well and, you you know, you want to show everybody because that's what a photographer does. Yeah.
1: But you've got to, you you know, you've got to understand that... uh, we are providing a service, right? the The photographer is a service, the model is the service, the makeup artists we're all you know we're all providing that service. Now, you know if I shoot for a major brand, it might be that that you know for a lot of swimwear that I shoot, that started in its design eighteen months ago. For I always remember shooting for, and apologies for for name dropping here, but I always remember shooting for Mercedes, and uh, you know their car development for that brand for that model was started ten years previously. So you know, you've got to imagine that, that, or remember that there's huge amounts of money involved in this and you know certainly for something like mercedes there's a huge market for spy shots for cars you know so if something gets out 18 months 2 years before that actual car is launched um you know potentially another manufacturer can you know produce them what that look before they do and the same with brands you know you've got to respect that that they've spent a huge amount of money and uh time and 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 creativity to get to that point so and also you, you know it it it's it's part of the legal process you know they need to guarantee that funny enough i don't see I've just thought about this while I've just been talking to you. You know, I don't see the makeup artists and the hairdressers and things being asked to sign. It's normally the model and the photographer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's only just occurred to me. And, and I mean, I have to sign one probably the last one I signed was probably just before, just after second lockdown. So, you know, October, you know, I had to sign one. Um, so, yeah, but I understand it. You know, it's not, it, there's images I've got at the moment that I shot a, a year ago and I would absolutely kill to, to use those images to promote myself, you know, cause it was such a great shoot, you know, and I've asked the client, and the client said, look, you know, they haven't been used yet. We haven't launched it yet. You know, just, can you imagine? I mean, and that's one of the, the things about social media, you know, is that on some shoots uh, clients go, right, no phones. No phones, yeah, everyone has to turn their phone off, you know, because someone could innocently, I'm sure people don't do it deliberately, but innocently take a selfie of themselves or the makeup artist take, you know, a shot of the model and it shows half the top, or you know, shows the bra or something like that, but still isn't being launched till this time next year. And they post it and you know, that client it can, you know. It can ruin things. It completely wrecks things.
0: Well, it's outside of the fashion industry as well, because it's something I've seen a few times at weddings where this, honest to God, people are obsessed with taking pictures of themselves um, in yeah. the mornings and then they'll post it to social media. And in the background is the bride's dress. And all of a sudden I'm in the room with six people that are having a screaming around with each other. Because yeah. you know th- they're they're not aware of accidentally doing that, so it's something that even yeah. outside of um, like an NDA situation can be a real problem. It's it's never. Yeah. I, I imagine ninety nine percent of the time they're not concerned with the spies; they're just concerned with the the innocuous stupidity. I guess.
1: Yeah, and also what you've got to remember as well this is people's jobs that are on the line. You know, if yep. the designer, uh, as if it was proved that it was that shoes that act that actual item you know was was blown to the general public or you know not necessarily the general public the other um people within their industry you know that are, everyone's trying to be individual and trying to you know the next season's color might be red and you know everyone's doing it 18 months ago uh all of a sudden you know that gets out that this brand are going to you know their next range is going to be red it's going to be purple it's going to be 70s inspired it's going to be have shoulder pads it's going to have you know whatever if that goes out i've seen people be sacked you know and and uh, you know be dismissed because stuff has happened you know and it's that you know it is people's livelihoods you know and you have to protect that and so yeah. i understand it you know there's nothing that 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 i don't Appreciate about that because I mean the new thing that happens twice after first lockdown is I have to sign a, a COVID form and I'm like what's this and they were saying can you sign this COVID form and I'm like what do you mean COVID what what's this COVID form and they were going well if anyone gets COVID on the shoot um, you can't sue us so I'm like right uh, uh, okay all right and. And so that was a completely new thing to me. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even know those things existed. I mean, we do everything as much as we can to, to you know, social distance. Uh, you know, one of the shoots I did just after first lockdown was actually remote. So the model was in the studio. I was in the studio. The art director's assistant was in the studio. But the art director was over in south london because his wife had just had or they would just had a a newborn so you know he didn't want to come and and put himself at uh, risk and the client was in sweden so we were all shooting remotely and so the, the shots were going to the art director in south london that was putting it into the layout he was then the client in sweden was then looking at it the client in sweden would say well can you move the model you know three inches to the left for this and then and then we do it again and it was quite weird shooting um uh remotely it just it's like you know there was no it was almost like the warmth had been taken out of the shoot it, it was all very for, you know not forced but because you know we got the the shoots you know we got the shots because that was the only way we could do it uh the previous four or five campaigns had done for them um yeah, everyone flew over, everyone came in, we were all in the studio, it all, you know, but that was the only way that we could do it. So, you know, we were grateful for being able to shoot like that. I mean, you know, I've got a Paris-based client I haven't shot for for a year now because they haven't been able to travel. You know, they didn't want to go into, you know, into a hotel and have to just shack up there for seven days or 10 days or whatever it is. You know, American clients have got, they can't fly you know so a lot of people's uh livelihood and a lot of people's income has been massively you know we don't get uh you know where it's very difficult as a as a freelancer you know i don't think the government uh has helped yeah cuz i mean you know I've, i particularly i don't know what it is but makeup artists a lot of them you know they what their last job is what they live off, you know, until their next job. And and it's like and and I know makeup artists that that have worked a little bit this year, you know, but the last year, and we're coming into a year now. This was it's more or less the first, you know, I know we went into first lockdown in probably March, but we're not far off that now. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are in real financial hardship at the moment. And they are they haven't got an option to be furloughed, you know. There's yeah. clients I've got that were furloughed a year ago, and they've been paid. You know, they've, you know, I'm sure it's not easy. Do you know what for I think is
0: the, the hardest part about this, genuinely. On on that note, uh, as someone, I've made a point to not to not make any or try not to make any part of the podcast about myself yeah. at all, as much as I can avoid it. Yeah. But the truth is uh, my business got absolutely destroyed as of about yeah. March when the, yeah. I was actually at a wedding when the announcement came out um, I had to um, help her videographer who was having a mental breakdown because she had basically just packed in her job, just thrown yeah. all her money into gear to do it as a job. And then immediately yeah. got told that she's not going to be earning money. Yeah. I've lost all my savings. I, I normally shoot between 50 and 70 weddings a year because I absolutely love the yeah. job so much. And last yeah. year I shot 12. This year I've had more rearranged than I've had booked. I'm getting yeah. emails from people in some cases that aren't particularly nice. You know, yeah. you're getting accused of almost being responsible for everything that's going on. Yeah. The government has literally no empathy or no sympathy for people that are in that position. And all of that is one thing. But the one thing that really, really pisses me off at the moment is the, the sentiment that you're selfish for talking about it. You're selfish for being concerned with the fact that how do you pay your next bills? How do you, mm. you know, there was a point last year where I bought milk with coppers, you know, because literally mm. all of my money had to go to, to cover yeah. all of the, the fallout of what had gone on. And I'd spent seven, eight years building up a business for it to fall to pieces. And you're called selfish because you're concerned about being homeless. Yeah. And that's the hardest part of all of this is that yeah you know the government with its why don't you just train in cyber thing where they can just yeah. absolutely do all kinds of fucking off because yeah, of yeah. how completely inappropriate that was. But it's, it's, yeah. it's like you're saying, there are people, I, like you, I know makeup artists, and like with this videographer that I was talking about, that are living from one job to the next one, and there just doesn't they seem to be, an after, not even an afterthought. I think an afterthought at this point would be an upgrade. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's the frustrating part of all of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I know people that are living off bank of dad, you know, if it wasn't for and people that have moved back in with their parents. And, uh, I also know businesses that are folded, you know, I know of model agencies that have, you know, there's a couple that have, that have gone under, you know, there's, uh, I mean, you know, we, we could, this on this subject you could talk about it forever you know it's it's very difficult isn't it but uh, you know i heard a thing the other day about about i think it was the mayor of manchester and he was he was having a real go about basically about you know the freelance community you know and it'd been completely forgotten you know and it's yeah, it's a really difficult one because at the end of the day you know i'm not political in any way and i I think a lot of the time you know hindsight is a fantastic thing but none of us 18 months ago knew that this was was, you know on the horizon and things but a lot of people have really suffered and uh, a lot of people have suffered anyway you know it's especially in third lockdown it's been really tough you know it's if you're living in a a basement flat in uh, Battersea, you know, and and you're allowed out an hour a day. That, you know, it's that's, must be really tough. But yeah, I mean, you know, creatively, if you've got that creative juice and and you know you've got that creative drive, it's it's really hard. It's really really hard, you know. And it's uh, you know, there's only so much you can revisit, and there's only so much until we can you know, I heard you interviewing, I can't remember what his name was now, but was it the Australian photographer?
0: Oh, Peter Coulson. And they,
1: yeah. And he'd come out of lockdown and, uh, you know, it was like, you know, I know you asked him, what was it like when you got the camera in your hand, you know? And he was like, it, it it's just, it's, you know, things like that, that just like, wow, it's just, it's I'd say to you before, it's like a drug. It's like, wow, this is great again. You know, you know, you got, you know, for 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 people, you know, wedding photographers and all of those sort of people, all you know, it's it's stopped. It's just it's stopped. I mean, probably, you know, people do get married, but they've they've been really, you know, very restrictive now. You know, you can only have I don't know what it is six at the wedding. You know, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You can't. You know, it's. The sooner we get out of it and the sooner everyone gets vaccinated, you know, the better. And let's, yeah. you know, I think we've, you know, and I'm guilty as, as probably uh, as anyone, if not more, We, you know, you take so much for granted, you know, just if you love what you do, the moment someone takes that away from you, it's like, wow, can't believe this. Wow, this is, you know, it's it's like you've hit that brick wall. It doesn't matter how many times you run at it, you still can't get through it until, you know. And we all, you know, probably a lot of people out there know someone that's had COVID, you know, and and people that have have lost people to COVID. But uh, it isn't a joke; it's a deadly serious thing. But you know, and we we need to get through it as soon as possible and get back to normality. And let's get, you know, let's get all of these things going again, and and you know, let's let's get earning.
0: Yeah, just, uh, I think um, hopefully there's just going to be a very big artistic release at the end of this where everyone's so excited to get back out and do what they do. Let's, let's, let's end on a high. You've given up a, yeah. an inordinate amount of time, so I really no, do appreciate pleasure. that. No, a my pleasure. last question or my last subject I just want to cover with you is, is something I've become more and more fascinated with. The first sort of... So this is episode 144. The first, I'd say, 80, 90 episodes, I had this... Outside of the podcast, I had this obsession with the psychology of social media. I now have kind of moved past that because I've come to the conclusion that it's more of a psychopathy than anything else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm now a little bit obsessed with cultural hubs, having spoken to quite a lot of people in LA, quite a lot of people in New York. And obviously with England, it's interesting because when you talk to people outside of England, especially I spend a lot of time in America, they're only really aware of, of London They almost think that's the country. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like maybe the government thinks that as well. Like we're in an internet age. Are we a little bit past the need for these cultural hubs where like, if you want to do what you do, you have to move to London. Does that not seem a bit redundant at a point when everyone can communicate in nanoseconds via the internet and things can be sent at extraordinary speeds via the internet? Is it not a bit ridiculous at this point to have cultural hubs?
1: Uh, I don't, I, I think there's always, there's always a case for everything. I mean, for, for me, for example, uh, you know, I came from Liverpool and there was only ever one place that, that I, you know, I could be, and that was London, you know, London, Paris, New York. It has to be one of the main, you know, hubs, uh, if you want to call it that, um, yes i mean that that's probably the the thing we've learned about lockdown is we can work to a certain degree or some you know people can from home and um, you know through the internet and and but there's certain things that that can't be done and yeah cultural hubs I uh, yeah it's i understand them but surely the whole point of ever anything is You've got to live it. You've got to breathe it. You've got to feel it. You've got to, you know, this I mean, I spent some time in America and I've been to states in America. I, I did a shoot in Boston and uh, I, I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to stay on and I'm going to travel down to New England. And there were people in New England that had never even been out of the state. You know, they hadn't been out of New England. And, and but when I asked why, they were like, we've got everything here. You know, I think, I'm not imagining this, I think they even had a drive-through funeral parlour. I know they had a drive-through <laughs> bank. I'm sure, I might have just made, uh, forgive me if I've just made that. I,
0: I believe it, to be honest with you, I no, believe but it. But they
1: certainly had a drive-through bank and, you know, we're talking quite a few years ago now. So, um, you know, and when I when I said, you know, well, how about, I don't know, Uh, how about the Himalayas? How about the Amazon? Don't you want to go? And they go, oh, we can see all of that on TV. So, Mm. you know, it's like it's like what we were talking about before with, you know, you being a chef and stuff. There's certain things that you can see and you can sort of feel, but at the end of the day, you need to actually taste and breathe that and experience it yourself. And there's so much that happens by this sort of creative ball that rolls around and they're like, wow yeah i've just bumped into you know that guy that was like god he was that amazing absolutely amazing you know what he said and the way he looked at things and you know and that can just be a conversation
0: i mean to me the the, the problem i have with that you know if you take the entire existence of man fucking hell do i sound like i'm trying to be intellectual here but if you take (laughs) the entire existence of mankind the, the time that we've had cameras, even, even at all, let alone accessible to everybody, is an absolute pinprick of that time. It's like yeah. it's a nothing part of that existence. And the idea that the only people that are going to come up with good ideas or serviceable ideas or marketable ideas are going to be in L.A., New York, London, Paris, Madrid, say. I mean, Madrid, I'm probably being charitable. It's just ridiculous. There are people that are in Wisconsin yeah. that are going to be incredibly imaginative, incredibly creative, and, and fantastic yeah. at expressing what they do. There's going to be beautiful people in every part of the world. I feel like I've never met someone that doesn't say that Russia is probably the, the yeah. hub of, of stunning models. Yeah. So it's it's like, it seems so ridiculous to me. It, to me, it's like saying okay, we've got the guitar, the guitar is 200 years old, but you're only allowed to play on three frets because Mm. that's where the cultural hub of the guitar is. It's like, but there's loads of other good stuff happening on Mm. the rest of the neck, but we can only focus on those three frets. It just feels incredibly restrictive at a point when we're seeing media be recycled so much. I mean, maybe outside of photography you see it more often with like films. It's just nothing but reboots and, yeah, and sequels yeah. and the same shit just recycled. But photography is going through some cycles itself. And it's like there are ideas outside of someone who I think was is phenomenal at this and, and doesn't get anywhere near the respect he deserves despite being probably one of the most known photographers in the world is Testino. Mm. Because he's Peruvian, he pulls yeah. in South American culture that is completely ignored. And although I'm talking about someone who probably has about six houses in LA and I'm being completely yeah, yeah, exactly. contradictory there, <laughs> Yeah. it just, to me, it seems so ridiculous to have this idea that like a f- you as a photographer in Liverpool is just as good as you as a photographer in London. And to limit the opportunities to someone based on geography just seems pointless. Yeah, but I think, I, I
1: think things are opening up more the, I think things are opening up more than they ever did before. Uh, And I think people's vision of that are opening up more. You know, you can be, uh, I mean, the sad fact is as much as, and I love Liverpool. I mean, you know, when my dad was alive, I remember walking down the street with him one day and and there'd be, you know, someone stopped and we were chatting to them and it was about 20 minutes. And then we started walking on and I said to my dad, who's that? And he said, I don't know. And I was like, Oh right, okay, all right. You do that in London, you know. You look at someone when you're on the tube in London, you know. Let alone <laughs> speak to them, and and you're like you're a weirdo, you know. It's like yeah. oh right, okay, and you know. So, but unfortunately, there are uh, you know things will always come to to you know hubs, if you like. You know, the, people will always be attracted to major cities. You know, people will always be, uh, it's just just the way we are. But that's not to say, you know, there's incredibly creative people out there in the middle of Highlands, you know, in the middle of Cumbria, uh, you know, and, and yes, you know, you can get stuff out there on the internet. You can get stuff out there on YouTube. You can have huge following you know, with without actually live leaving your sofa. So you don't have to be in the middle of there. But there's certain occupations and there's certain things that have to be done like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, that surely that's one of the advantages we've got now is is that that you know you can be incredibly creative uh and you could be in the middle of the Shetlands or something like that. But the trouble with with what I do is that if I have to pull a team in, you know, if I say to the team, right, okay, I'm in Shetland, right, everyone fly up and uh, they're going to go, oh, right, okay, yeah, but I can't take three days off to fly up there and three days to fly back just to do that one day. You know, everyone has to be, yeah, yeah, we have to turn up at the studio at uh, quarter to nine in the morning. It has to be, you know, and then I can pull a team together for a day or half a day or a month. And then the moment the job's finished, the whole team disappear again, you know, and they go on to other things. I go on to another thing, you know, so that's something that, that we, you know, culturally, um, I shot in Cape town years ago, uh, probably going to age me now, but, um, I shot in Cape Town when Mandela was still in on in prison on Robben Island. Uh, I was one of the wow. first. I was one of the first English photographers to shoot there, and the South African Tourist Board were trying to get tourism uh, over to South Africa. And uh, I remember when the weekend that Mandela was being released, uh, literally everyone white leaving Cape town because they thought they were going to be, you know, mobbed or lynched or or whatever. But part of the, part of the, the the reason that I went there was I said to the tourist board, right. Okay. Well, if I'm going to come over, I want to make sure that half the team, part of the team are South Africans. Right. I want to shoot, you know, uh, again yeah uh, you know uh, even looking back now you know there was on some of the beaches if not all the beaches whites only no blacks you know and i know that's all political and it's completely changed there now for for uh, that side of things um you know racism is a obviously an ongoing situation as we know every day here but um yeah, that's all part of of you know, using the culture. I don't suppose it's any different to going on holiday to Jamaica and never traveling outside of the hotel. You sit on the beach, you have your cocktails, you know, you go in overnight, you have your meal, you go back on the beach the next day, you know, you have another cocktail. Then you get back on the plane, you go home, you see nothing of yeah. of the country. You know, you've seen nothing of, of the people. Um, surely that's what, you know what we try, hopefully, try and do is is get as many different cultural uh, people involved as possible uh, when when we got the opportunity to. So yeah, you know there, there's an incredible. There was a I was shooting in a in a Would you believe that we went all the way over to Cape Town and we were shooting front covers in a um, in a studio there. So it was a huge, (laughs) yeah, but people go, what? And you go, well, the reason is in January, February, March, it's probably one of the biggest model scenes in the world. There are more models in Cape Town than anywhere else. So actually the client was like, we can get totally different models than we can get in London. You know, we've seen this model five times already this year, you know, we don't want to shoot with her. We want, we want a Russian girl. You know, we want someone from Barcelona. We want someone from LA, you know, and all these sort of girls come in. So we were, shooting. but there was a, there was a, a little lad there, um, who basically was, was brushing the, uh, the floor of the studio. That was his job just to tidy things up. And, um, uh, you know, I said to my assistant, uh, You know, obviously, I had word with the manager of the studio at first, and I said, um, you know, is it okay if we get him involved? You know, can he help, you know, set up, you know, sort of the lights in? At that time, I was shooting film. So, again, this probably dates me. Um, You know, I said to my assistant, obviously, you know, and I was shooting Hasselblad, so we'd have four or five backs loaded up with film. So I said to my assistant, get him to, you know, load and just keep an eye on him, make sure, because obviously, you know, anything goes wrong, it's me that gets it, but, you know, and that guy was so, he'd never been given an opportunity like this in his life. You showed him something once, and he, straight onto it, he was, I don't know what his his African name was, but we called him Joseph, and uh, he was amazing, and every time I went back to Cape Town to shoot, I would always insist that, he was part of the, the crew, even though sometimes we weren't even shooting in that studio. And, in fact, probably the – you know, I said to him, what do you want to be? Because uh, he was probably 17, 16, 17, and he said, oh, I want to be a photographer like you. But he was the oldest of the family, his brothers and sisters. He had no mum and dad. His, his, I think his mum had died of AIDS, and his dad had basically just disappeared then and left them, and he was bringing – he was looking after the family in a township, and that guy was just massively, massively, massively creative. Um, I, you know, a couple of years later, I tried to get him into photography college there, and you know, the South African government. Well, you know, I'm not political, but they were like, he can't go. He hasn't got any qualifications. Well, of course, he hasn't got any qualifications because he hasn't been given the opportunity. You know, yeah, catch twenty two. Yeah, I'll pay for him to go to college. You know, it, this guy is absolutely incredible and he's so keen and so, you know, it, it, it never happened. You know, so, so, yeah, culturally, you know, you need to mix it up as much as you can. You know, it's, it's part of our life. But, yeah, you can be, you know, you can be creative. I, mean, I always think that, that sometimes we're like sponges and we can soak things up and keep soaking all these visuals and all these ideas up and getting them out. But sometimes also, you know, that sponge gets dry and and you need to just take time off and, and, you know, reboot and then come back in afresh again. Well,
0: burnout's definitely a real deal. Burnout can really get you.
1: Yeah, that was the thing with probably when the budgets were through the roof. Uh, You know, I was booked every day for like 14 months. It, you know, I was booked this time completely every single day to this time next year, if not further than that, you know, there yeah. were clients, our clients sort of saying, well, look, you know, squeeze us in, you know, and, and burnout was a real, uh, a real thing. You know, my wife summed it up. She said, everyone else gets the apple and I get the call. You know, I've come <laughs> back and I was completely, it's true. It's completely burnt out. You know, it's, but you know, if you love what you do, that's it. It's just it's you know. I'd say the secret to any photographer, it's got to be in your bones. It you've got to you know, it's got to be there. You've got to want to do it. You've it's it's got to be not to the detriment of ev- ev- everything, but it's it's certainly got to be you know what you live and breathe for.
0: Well, I certainly think if you took away social media if you took away any way for people to be recognized as a photographer how many people would still do it if if, if it was like how much do you just enjoy the process of creating images for what you do but you take away the, the ego side of it when it comes to the interaction yeah. you have with other people how many people would still do it and i, I actually think the number would drop significantly more oh, than maybe yeah, people realize especially younger generation now I think that so much reliance on their own brand before they've even got a product, they've got a brand. I think there's so much reliance yeah. on that, that, that that's yeah. the case. It's It's been honestly fantastic talking to you. And I really do appreciate the fact that you've taken way over two hours <laughs> out of your day to talk to me, which no. you're, you're a much more generous person than I am. Cause I don't think I'd give me two hours out of my day. <laughs> the most important part of this is that obviously we make sure people know where they can go to find, what you do so this is the opportunity for you to tell people where they can go to see your work and 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 follow you and whatnot
1: okay so basically i've got a website which is ianhooton.com so hooton is h-o-o-t-o-n and i'm only on instagram so my instagram is photography. so anyone that's got any photographers that want to take this a little bit further just dm me on instagram and you know i've got photographers that you know what filter was that you know uh, you know what what did you use on that stuff and obviously i'll help as much as i can that's the thing with what we do i think you have to give back as well it's not all take 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 you have to you know you have to give as i say personally years ago i learned more in a day than i did three years of photography college. So it's all of that sort of stuff. Get people in, share, you know, it's, it's not about sharing on social media. Sometimes it's about sharing like we've just done now. Yeah. People, you know, it's, you know, you, you see an image. Yeah. But it's what happened. you know, the process to that image. It's and what, you know, how people think, breathe. It's the whole thing. It's incredible. So,
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really do appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure and, um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll look forward to listening to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Let you go But have you really got